What's up, everybody? It is March 22nd, 2017, and this is another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Um, my name is Rafael Garcia, and my partner, Swan Humes, is coming in in a little while. But as usual, you know, we have like more than a lot to talk about uh, when it comes to the world of mixed martial arts this week. It's a pretty uh, light week because there are not there are no events this weekend. So we won't have anything to look forward to when it comes to discussing MMA. But we will have a lot to talk about from this past week of news and last week's uh, action. So and talk about some mixed martial arts action. Um, today we're going to be looking at UFC Fight Night 107. <clears throat> Excuse me. Looking back at the results from that event in London, out in the O2 Arena, we're going to be talking about that. And then we're going to look at, again, like I said, just look at some of the news from this past week. We're going to be talking about um, Gary Tony versus Shinya Aoki, that grappling match that was just announced in one championship. We're going to talk about some big signings for Bellator, uh, War Machine, Nate Diaz. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much about it. Pretty smooth show today. Um, light. We have a light uh, agenda, but you know that is what it is. Especially when you look at the April schedule, because April schedule is hectic for four events for UFC. Who knows how many other countless grappling Bellator events? There's going to be a lot to talk about. So let's kind of close it out today with um, something a little bit more low key. So first things first, I wanted to look at UFC Fight Night 107, last week's action, which was pretty uh, pretty exciting. Which was this is another edition, man. It was a card that wasn't didn't jump off the page, but it still brought enough action, especially with the later uh, the later fights in the evening. Excuse me, guys. Uh, it's been a lot of week, kind of tired. Excuse me about that, but it's uh, it was a good event from start to finish. Didn't really have too many complaints. I remember talking last week about whether or not I was even going to watch this show because there wasn't a lot of a lot of big names on this card, which was definitely a problem, but which is definitely something that kind of deters a lot of people away. And it, and it makes it a little bit hard to cover a lot of these showcases because there's so much else going on at the time. Uh, there was actually some interesting conversation on Luke Thomas's live chat today talking about whether or not the UFC is neglecting neglecting fight pass because there haven't been as many fight pass exclusive events which is noticeable and a lot of people were just like well what's really going on with that platform and I think that's a good question to ask I personally enjoy it because it allows me to continue watching some <clears throat> Some grappling, which I, know, I believe is actually I'm going. I was thinking about earlier today about working on a piece about the growth of competitive grappling, and with EBI being on Fight Pass, that definitely makes it valuable to me. It makes it worth the ten dollars a month that I pay and write off at the end of the year. But that's another conversation for another day. But for those people who are not exclusively interested in the world of grappling, I see how it can be uh, a struggle to 
embrace paying $10 for um, UFC Fight Pass every month, especially that many big events on there anymore. I remember back when they had uh, Joanna Drzejczyk defend her title on on that platform, or when they also did, they did a, I think this was before UFC 200, where they featured a Thursday night event on Fight Pass. I think that was a Rose Nama Yunus Paige Van Zant fight. They featured that on Fight Pass. It didn't the rest of the uh went through the rest of the cards. But either way, um it's pretty interesting to see what will be next with that platform. It's funny because I wondered um if Fight Pass would be I believe Fight Pass was around before the WWE Network. I'm kind of getting off topic here, but you know, it is what it is. Fight Pass was around before the WWE Network. So, but it's definitely, the the network has definitely grown leaps and bounds beyond that because the WWE Network was kind of seen as, I don't want to say you would say it was seen as a failure first and foremost, but it's definitely grown into a, I believe, a viable platform and a viable example on how organizations can can better leverage their own content. Uh, the WWE isn't still, you know, their flagship shows on USA every Monday. They also have SmackDown Live on Tuesdays, which is where a lot of their ad revenue comes through. But they have more than a million subscribers on uh, the WWE Network, which you know at ten dollars a pop, it is a it is a, I, I think it would be a, a great revenue generator. So it would be interesting to see uh, if the UFC Fight Pass can grow in that way. Can can they continue to can they continue to move in the right direction? Um, right now, you know, they they aren't creating a lot of original content. They don't have, and I will say that the WWE Network's content is not that engrossing, except for, you know, I watch the, the in-ring shows, but I don't like, I don't watch the, uh, don't watch the original documentary type content that they do. It just doesn't interest me. I'm not even sure how we really kind of segue into this, but that's neither here nor there. So looking at what is available on Fight Pass, I'm not the biggest fan. I definitely don't watch Looking for a Fight. I'm not a fan of The Ultimate Fighter. And they aren't doing as many shows. Uh, they have, like I said, they have the grappling events. They have Invicta on there. They have Glory, but they don't put the main events on, on Glory, which is something I've noticed recently as well. So I see why people are a little turned off by what is offered within that platform. But, you know, that, like, again, that's just... Uh, It'll be interesting to see what business decisions are made about Fight Pass. I think it is something that they will not get rid of, but it's something that I think could be better leveraged for the long-term gains of this organization, especially as especially as television packages kind of change. Uh, this is where we are in a point where we are seeing a change to how people watch TV, how people consume media. A lot of it is on an on-demand on type of... Uh, is an on-demand type of platform where people want to consume what they want instead of 
consuming when they're uh, consume what they want when they want to, instead of consuming when they're told based on being handcuffed to a schedule. But as I said, you know, I'm not even sure how I really even got into this. I should have been talking about UFC 107, Fight Night 107, the whole time. So let's get back into that, where we saw a main event with uh, Jimmy Manoa basically starched uh, Corey Anderson in the first round of their fight. And this was uh, this was a pretty interesting fight. I think Shawan and I talked about this last week, and he thought Corey Anderson's wrestling was going to be able to be enough to win this fight here. And, you know, even though Anderson's been rocked in the past and he's been shaken up, it still looked as if he would be able to do enough wrestling-wise to get this win. A lot of people had him as a favorite coming in, but all it took was one of those hooks from Jimmy, Man- Jimmy to finish the fight, and and we've seen his power before. And hearing fight, it was definitely interesting to see that Manoa has, I think he's sixteen and two overall, and his two losses have come to Anthony Johnson and Daniel Cormier. So the question now becomes where he fits within the 205 division, because if he is going to be someone who becomes, I wrote about him being a breath of fresh air within the 205-pound division, because there really aren't any contenders anymore. There We've been recycling. A lot of people were kind of on hold as we wait for... Um, So the question is, uh, what do you really do with this uh, decision? Do you, if you're Manoa, do you wait like for like? Uh, I'm sorry, I just got distracted by something. But if you're Manoa, do you call out John Jones? That was a question that kind of came up afterwards after the fight when. The idea of him fighting Manuel, uh, the idea of Manuel kind of fighting, uh, fighting Jones in the future was kind of scoffed at, just because Manuel said some comments about you know not wanting to fight uh, guys who have failed drug tests, and you know regardless of the story behind Jones's failed drug test, that was still an opportunity where. He, he could have been the man to welcome John Jones back to the cage at some point in time this year. And I, th- I think that that still would have been a good matchup. Excuse me one second, guys. So the question now becomes where where do you go with Manoa from here? Uh, I think he's currently ranked. Let me see. And again, as we always say, we know that the UFC rankings don't really mean a whole lot here, but they do help capture some of the conversation. So Manoa is currently ranked in the let's see, he's currently sitting. He's number four 
right now in the light uh, light heavyweight division, and that is through Wednesday of last week, the 15th. And ahead of him are Johnson, Cormier, Johnson, Gustafson, and Teixeira. So where do you go from here? Do you, I would like to see him slotted with either Glover Teixeira or Mauricio Hua, Hua who's also coming off of a win over Gian Vellante from a few weeks back. So you have to wonder where, if that's the right direction to go with him. Hey, how you doing there, Sean? How you doing tonight? Oh, good. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing well. Thanks for being able to join us today. You know, we just started, we just got talking about UFC um, Fight Night 107, and we're talking about Jimmy uh, Manuel, the man of the evening from Saturday night when he got that knockout win over Corey Anderson. What did you think of that fight? Um, I mean, it, there wasn't much to it as far as, like, it may finish. It, it kind of created more questions for me regarding Anderson than it did any. I mean, he was the guy. He was the guy who was the young guy who was the prospect who was supposed to have the opportunity to move up, and uh, that kind of loss puts him in his line. And it kind of was a fringe. I don't think that's what the you know, the young guy kind of creates some new match matchups to come in, and uh, that guy uh, that got all wiped away with that left hook, that left hand he landed. So. And everything, like you said, all, all that got wiped away, Anderson's kind of momentum was stopped there. But is this a is this a great thing for Jimmy Manuel? Because that the question now became, I wrote about this this week, is whether or not he is a breath of fresh air for the light heavyweight division. Because right now, we've been recycling contenders as we wait for John Jones to return. But Manuel made the mistake of not being the man to say, hey, I want to welcome Joe's back when he, he comes off a of suspension, because I think that that would have been a great fight to make. Unfortunately, he kind of scoffed at the idea, taking a shot at Jones, saying he doesn't want to fight guys who have failed drug tests, which, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a limiting qualifier right there to begin with. But when you look at who's around him at 205 pounds, where do you go next with Jimmy? Um, I don't really know because I mean he he's lost to the other big the big names in the division already, so the the best the matchup that makes up the makes the most sense would probably be to have him go in against Jones on his return back. I don't think he would turn down the fight, and I think him making that comment about the the steroid comment would be something to build on as far as like creating a rival. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. It's really hard to tell what to do with them because a whole lot we saw some improvement as far as like maybe how he pressured he pressures guys we saw some improvement maybe as far as his wrestling but we didn't see enough of it to really know how deep how how improved he is we know like initially in the first round early on when you're still warm and you haven't been in any grappling exchange you haven't really had to move a lot when you got your first win and all your explosiveness and all your energy we saw that he's effective we don't know how that fight would have gone if it could have gone a couple seconds longer so it's really hard to tell how much technical improvement what he could really do again. If he could again the more league guys, he he's our division. We we still don't know that. And when I, I you're definitely you're definitely right on that, that he he basically went in there and dispatched a guy pretty quickly without any 
answering any questions really about how he's grown. When I look at this division, I mean, the only names that really kind of stand out to me are Glover Teixeira um, and Maurice Johua. You know, you do have Misha Chukarnoff coming back to the organization as well, too. So out of those three names, which one kind of stands out to you the most and who you will want to see Manuel fight next? Because he's calling out the champion, but you got to be realistic. This guy's lost to – he's lost to both Anthony Johnson and Alexander Gustafsson. And you would kind of have to take Cormier as a favorite if that fight was made as well, too. So where do you really go with Manuel now? You know, there's some names out there that could create some true title eliminators for him if he was able to get the win. Yeah, I mean, maybe establishes a legitimate contender. He he'd probably have Glover would be a good mix, but Glover I think is already Gustafson. Gustafson would be a good win for him. Beating Johnson would be a good win for him. But as it stands right now, neither, none of those guys have a reason to fight him. Gustafson dominated him, so did Johnson. He has no reason. Glover would be a good fight, but Glover's taken. So that leaves him with somebody like Shogun, who's still a name, but I don't know the road, but I don't know that being established you as a contender. Now, Shogun beating Manawa, that might put him in as a contender, where he'd be a, a, a fight. How uneven that Shogun's looked in the, past, in the past few years, and the guys he's beaten haven't been particularly dominant fight. It doesn't make you a. And you're cutting it out, man. You're cutting it out. I said beating beating real Hua doesn't make you a title challenger. He hasn't beaten. He's won three fights in a row, but who has he beat? None. Of, it's nobody. It's been nobody elite. It's mid tier. It's been kind of those lower end light heavyweight guys he's been beating. Um, I get, and I, I don't think I don't think he really. I, I think if Shogun beats Manua, he becomes a title challenger. Now, still got to beat at least one. of a potential title challenger, in my opinion. So, would you take Manawa in, in a fight over um, Shogun? Do you think that that's kind of a kind of a dead giveaway, he, seeing how Shogun's competed in recent months and year? Shogun's counter punching has been really good. It's been magnificent. But the thing about it is, he still lost a step physically. And now that he's a little, he's a step slower. He's he's a little bit easier to hit than he was before. And Manawa still got that explosiveness. He's got that length, and he he sets up his strikes pretty well. He doesn't re really throw combinations. He kind of pot shots, throws solo shots, really powerful solo shots on people. So there's a good chance that if he touches Shogun, that's it for him. You know, Shogun's, every time he's faced a big hitter, he's up, if not stopped. So if he gets him early, I, I think most likely he would knock Shogun out. But if the Shogun could kind of stretch the fight, into the second and third rounds, I think there's a chance he could win. He's a good enough counterpuncher. It's just a matter of when he gets hit, can he take the shot? And being at this stage of his career, I don't know that he can take the kind of shot that, my, that Jimmy shoot, Jimmy fires. I mean, Jimmy hit Volante. Volante, Volante could have stopped Shogun if he would have put some shots together and not been so one-dimensional how he was approaching the fight. That's some good breakdown there. That's some good breakdown. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with Manoa next because that 205 used to be the division where the stars were, and now it's kind of the group where stars go to die. Uh, there really aren't any big names there anymore. There isn't anyone who draws a lot of attra attraction. And a lot of the guys are kind of 
fading away for lack of a better term. You know, obviously you got Chell and Vitor, or excuse me, Chell and um, Wanderlei about the fight over in Bellator. But it's like, really, where are the big fights when you look at uh, the uh, 205 pound division? Where are the big fights at this point? And I'm not sure if there really are too many more to offer. There's really, at this point, the division, the UFC's division is so thin. Even Bellator's division is, is, it's gotten better, but it's still fairly thin. They have the same problem. There's just not enough. There's not enough people in there where you can, where you can bring a guy up. You know, it's like you have a guy fight these. Either you're fighting. You there? Slow progression anymore, which is part of the reason why in the UFC you don't have many legitimate light heavyweight contenders because all the young guys they get thrown in with these seasoned veterans who st- who who may not be in their prime but are close enough to it that their experience makes up for the lack of physical ability. So you have these these rookies or these prospects who have glaring holes and you have these seasoned veterans who know how to take and they keep every time you get a rookie who starts moving his way up and gets to the point where he, he might break through, he faces some veteran who knows all the tricks of the game, knows all the setups, is going to be calm under pressure and essentially beats them and sends, sends them right back down the line. It happened to Corey Anderson on Saturday. It happened to um, Jared Cannonier when he fought Glover Teixeira. You know, it just routinely it routinely happens. Every time somebody starts getting them, they end up getting thrown to the wolves, having to face a top five guy who's been in the sport for 10 to 15 years and fought everybody and fought every style. And then they take full advantage of the holes that prospect has, and that prospect's got to start all over again. It's like, if you notice, all the guys in the, in the elite level are all older guys. They're all fighting for years and years and years and none of the none of the prospects are seasoned enough or skilled enough or well-rounded enough to get past them every time they move at that level they get thoroughly exposed and it's happened repeatedly throughout the history of the light heavyweight division so far cormier is an old he's not a young guy he's an he's an he's he's fairly old johnson's not old per se but he's been he's been fighting for a long time you know so that's the veteran so we, it's hard to really set up any matches to have established who's a legitimate contender because we just don't have enough guys to slowly move guys up and down the division and kind of see what they have see what they have to offer. And the few guys they did have, they let those go to other organizations or other divisions. So let me ask you this as we continue to kind of go down this rabbit hole. When you look at the 205 pound weight class, who is a young prospect that you should, that, that we should be keeping our eyes on? Um, obviously, you know, we have Chakarnov, who the UFC finally brought back. But if, if you want to stick to him, you can stick to him or other than him. Who is someone that fans should be excited to watch or someone that they think can, you, you think can bubble up to the top? Out of him, I mean, I, I, there's not too many, there's not too many light heavyweight young ones that I've been – I think, okay, this guy has what it takes to go for a run. I mean, the only guy I thought who had a legitimate skill set would have been maybe would have been in Bellator, McGeary. McGeary and McGeary's not even young either, but he's the closest thing. He'd be the closest thing to a guy who hasn't been in the, who hasn't been fighting for years and years and years, who's somewhat young and not, not known to the masses as well. Outside of him, and uh, I, don't, I don't know who else there is. I mean, it's just, it's really so thin. There, I mean, there's a lot of middleweights who, who should probably be fighting a light heavyweight the spice of the division. But I, I really don't know of any any light heavyweights that I've seen in or out of the UFC or even in Bellator where I'd say, okay, that's a young guy who is considered a legitimate prospect 
and I have ideas that he's going to be the next title challenger or the next big star. People we already know. The people who are pretty much obvious lots to be contenders for a title or contenders to be elite. It's just it's just a really weird division. It doesn't have very much that it has the best fighter of all time in it, has one of the best one of the best light heavyweights of all time and then Daniel Cormier and John and everybody else is so it's so hard to develop like you see the same we're having a John we're gonna have a Johnson Cormier rematch. Jones has beaten everybody in the top five, top six, top seven, and a lot of the guys in the top ten have already fought a lot of the lower level guys. These matchups push the division any further ahead. It's like just fights for the sake of having them. Fights aren't good enough matchups where they justify the guys being considered elite. You know, let's say let's say Manuel beats Shogun. Would would to you would that justify him getting a shot at Cormier? Especially given the fact that Johnson blew. You know, if if who upsets Manuel, do you really think he has a chance against Cormier? Or Johnson or Johnson. Didn't, didn't they already fight? Didn't Shogun already yeah. fight Cormier? Um, no, he fought he fought John Jones. I don't think he even fight Cormier. Or am I thinking about Dan Henderson? Maybe I'm maybe I'm Dan Henderson in that fight. But I, but all those guys, even if they win, if they win three or four in a row, you still you don't still don't have any faith faith in their ability to beat the top three, four, or five guys in their division. They they're not good enough to do that. What are they really fighting for? That's very true. Not, you don't have. Good, you don't have good enough opposition to justify a title shot. Basically, it'd be like it is in flyweight with a um, with a Johnson, where you're just getting fights because they need to have a title fight, so they're just going to put someone in there, even though they're they haven't performed well enough to earn one, or they or they're clearly so de- deteriorated that you know they don't have any shot at beating Jones, Johnson, or Cormier. Okay. Okay. That's some good breakdown. Yeah, that's some good breakdown. Uh, I think we're going to see some interest. I don't. I, as you get higher, in my opinion, as you get higher up the weight class ladder, I think that there's a struggle in finding continued quality fights, and we see that right now in heavyweight and in uh, light heavyweight when it just doesn't seem like someone's jumping off the page. Hey, I'm the number one contender. The same way that guys like. Conor McGregor did, but that's another conversation. Same way guys like uh, Jessica Andrade did with her drop down to straw weight. Same way that people such as um, Carolina Kowalskowicz did moving up and, and kind of cutting her way through the division. Or Valentina Shevchenko. We don't see that. We don't see a lot of guys still bubbling up to the top who are very talented. Instead, it's a lot of older fighters staying around. And I think that this kind of puts the organization, not the organization, excuse me, puts those two divisions in a questionable position as we see right now. Yep, you you just can't develop guys get past the veterans, and most of the veterans have already lost to the top three guys already. Glover, even if he goes on win streak, he's lost to Jones and he's lost to John. OSPs, you know, would have been considered one of the better veterans, but it's a Glover, and I'd have no faith that he could beat Cormier or Johnson. Who has already lost? He's already lost to John. He's already lost to Jones. You know, it's like you already had guys who've already lost to the best and lost in a manner. It's not even competitive. So even if they come back and they get to fight again, nobody has it. You can't you can't sell that fight. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, we're gonna have Hua fight Jones. Didn't who didn't when Hua actually was in shape and younger and more explosive, more athletic, he couldn't touch Jones. Jones actually improved. Who was deteriorated, and you want us to pay money to see that fight happening? It's just a, it's just a tough. Yeah, fight. you couldn't you you couldn't pay me to watch that fight. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not right now. It's essentially torture. I mean, you know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You're gonna pay me to watch that fight, but someone you could pay me to watch is Gunnar Nelson, and whether or not what's next for him. You got the submission win over Alan. Joe Ban on Saturday, and it seems like he and his coach are looking at Stephen Thompson as the next uh, target. Uh, tell me, what do you think about Nelson's uh, performance on Saturday, and what, and if you would be interested in in him fighting Stephen Thompson? Well, I, I've always been I've been a good Nelson, a Nelson fan. I mean, he he's the Christ. I've always been a fan. Of a lot of people don't give them their respect, but the right circumstances, you can easily apply them to any full contact. Um, Nelson put on a good performance. The, the thing with Nelson is Nelson's essentially the same fighter he was when he first got in here. With, is His ground game's always been good. What hasn't been good is his wrestling, whether it's defensive, counter, or, or offensive wrestling. And he's really actually developed those layers in his game where he's a legitimate takedown threat. If somebody take him down, instead of just giving up the takedown, he can he can sprawl out, he can counter, he can turn them over, he can outposition them and work from the top instead of, instead of being from there and having to submit somebody from the bottom, which even if you're not facing a top-end fighter in, in mixed martial arts, it's very hard to do when you're facing a guy with a legitimate wrestling background or, or decent. The problem I have with Gunnar Nelson is a lot of his success is based off his athleticism. He's got a natural sense of distance. He's got good foot speed. He's got really good hand speed. He's got good explosiveness, good, good power he hasn't developed his striking game all the way around a lot of his striking game. And, and I'm not the only person who's, who's seen this, a friend of the show, Patrick Wyman and, and Connor Rebush have often made this comment. We've had discussions about this. Gunnar Nelson's whole line of defense. It's not legitimate. He doesn't, I mentioned this on the show last week. He doesn't do slips and parries and blocks. He doesn't roll with punches and come back. And work the body and work the body in combinations all the way to the head. What he, his whole line of defense is distance. He's essentially a master at closing and extending distance. And what he does is before your shots can get in, so he he can get get off his offense, or he extends the distance so you can't land shots. You've either got to chase him over is gonna which when you over pursue, you throw too many strikes, you get too aggressive, you can get the takedown, or you run into big shots. Usually his straight right, front kick, kick to choose to throw. You basically run into it. And that's that's if you walk behind and pressure him slowly. Boxing range. He doesn't have boxing defense. He doesn't have boxing defense. He doesn't really even have boxing offense in the pocket in that mid range distance. He doesn't really move his head. He doesn't twist and turn his body. He doesn't do a lot of shoot with the strikes. It's all I land my shot. Get in, land my shot. Get out. Get in, land my shots. Get out. You over pursue. I get in. Do a trip takedown. Duck under chain a get a single that doesn't work go to a double get you down and that's a big hole in his game and it's been exploited before it's good it's dominant he's he's look let's notice the guys he's beaten haven't had the finer aspects of striking down they're very beating brandon thatch brandon thatch is a very good striker as far as athleticism and power but he doesn't have any setup it's all big it's all big strikes knees elbows big punches he doesn't work his way in. He doesn't roll with punches. He doesn't set it very obvious. It's easy to counter. It's easy to. But Tumanov actually has a busy style of striking, and he does have a lot of skills on the feet. But he is he's such a liability on the ground 
he can't assist, he can't effectively he can't effectively pressure anybody because he's so he's so weak on the ground. If you're constantly pressuring, at some point you're gonna give up an angle, give up the center line, and somebody's gonna be able to take overextend and somebody's gonna take you down, or you're gonna run into a shot that's gonna hurt you and you're gonna get taken down. But once again, he and now he fought Joe Blaine, who has a lot of skills, he has a lot of range of strikes, but Joe Blaine's not a guy who's the top end, the top end athlete, he's a very good one. And his his mid-range game isn't exactly dynamic in itself. So people who weren't able to exploit the holes in his game, they weren't able to exploit it to the point of winning. But in each and every one of those fights, those guys had some success in those areas to win the fight. So if you look at the trajectory of his career, the same holes he had when he first got in here as far as defense, his stances, where it makes him vulnerable to kicks and his body vulnerable to kicks, his inability to be offensive in a boxing range or be defensively sound or counter in a boxing range. He's improved his ability to transfer and control you from the ground or defend, defend your downs, but his actual stand-up skills have actually kind of plateaued and he's only getting by because he's not, he's an athlete. And then he's more okay. aggressive than Thompson. He's a bigger one-shot hitter than Thompson but he's not a better boxer than Thompson. So Thompson has a clear line of to victory. If he fights him, he knows he can beat him in that boxing range. And Gunnar Nelson has said himself, he's looking to finish now, which means Thompson's not going to have to initiate offense. Thompson is best when you're initiating and you give him the opportunity to counter. Okay, okay. So I, I like how you looked at Nelson's wrestling ability and what he's been able to do on the ground versus where he's really grown on his feet. And I think I think that Thompson is a difficult fight for him to jump right into at this point in time. I think he's definitely a very different class of fighter from what we've seen in Johnny Hendricks recently. So it'll be interesting to see if Nelson could do what he is what people would expect him to want to do, go in there, try to get the takedown and get the finish from there. Remember, he's not like Damian Maya has perfected that that tactic in such a way that fighters just came. I mean, hell, Nelson couldn't do anything about it um, when they fought. So it's, it'd be interesting to see if he can employ that same type of style against Thompson when other fighters have failed in that same area. Well, the whole the whole thing about it is 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 Thompson's good with the wrestling. He can handle the wrestling. He can handle sprawls, wizards, and spinning out and controlling distance. The biggest Nelson is going to be that, unlike other guys who aren't familiar with the range, because if you train, if you if you train with traditional martial artists, karate type people, or you spar them, there's a different range they work at. There's a different rhythm. There's a different even though there's only so many angles and in aspects of footwear you can use, they focus on particular things. And if you're not used to it, if you don't train it, you haven't trained with it or over the period of your life, there's a lot of openings and feints and techniques you're not going to recognize. You're just going to depend on your and your ability to fire off volume to overwhelm using entries and exits you're not familiar with. The thing is, Thompson's familiar with those things. He's not going to fool Thompson. Thompson's not going to fool him either. So both people are going to have issues of getting off it's going to be a matter of who's got the more complete game and as far as the strike you have to say that thompson do it one dimensional when it comes to the shape of thompson but i don't have any 
he's going to consistently and effectively get Thompson down. You know, the only person years ago, but other than that, it's been Tyron Woodley. And I don't know that Nelson's that kind of athlete. I definitely know he's not that kind of wrestler. So then it becomes a stand, it becomes a stand. Steven Thompson's overall striking is more comprehensive than Gunnar Nelson's. In kickbox at range, he knows how to work a jab. He can put punches together. In the parry counters that he have from karate, he can put actual legitimate combinations. He can put an uppercut hook. He can fake off. He can fake a jab. He can hook off the jab. He can do different things that that Nelson can't. It's a different so thing. There? Yeah. Yes. Hello? Yeah, there you go. You were cutting it out. I didn't know if you were still there or not. Oh. Um, the big difference between them is Nelson is probably the better athlete. He's got the bigger power. But I think Thompson is the overall better striker. And you'd have to convince me that Nelson can consistently take him down left and right. I don't think he can. So I would think I would have to probably favor Thompson in that fight because I think he's a more comprehensive striker. And I think he works better off the counter. And I know Nelson's going to come trying to look for a finish. And that means Thompson's going to have multiple opportunities to finish him in return. What's Nelson's ceiling? Um, do you think he's someone that we can see develop into a contender? I don't think so. I think he is a great grappler, um, fantastic guy on the map. I don't know if he has the tools to fully develop into someone who is a dual threat type of fighter. He, he's got the physical tools. He's, he's athletic enough. He's dynamic, quick enough. He's got good body control. He's, he's got the heart for fighting, the mentality. But this whole, the limits in his game, the shallowness of his stand-up game, it presents too many a lane to victory. I mean, if you can stay, if you can steadily apply pressure on him and you can handle him at range, at least be competent at range and get into that boxing range, that mid-range, you're going to overwhelm him every time because he doesn't have any legitimate technical answers. His only answer is to get in, to beat you by getting into range really quick where you can't get him or getting out. But that's hard to do over a series of three rounds straight. It's hard to do over five rounds straight when you're facing a person who can apply pressure and somebody who can actually make you pay in that range, who's good enough to make you pay in that range. That, that's, what, that's the only thing that's going to stop him going. He's got a good enough grappling game. His grappling game is probably only second to Maya's. His wrestling game is consistently improving. But his stand-up game, he has the same he, he had when he first started in here. The legs open for the leg kicks, his body. His stance, is, his stance is very long, and he doesn't put combinations together. It's a lot of one, two, one shots, ones, and twos. He doesn't throw a lot of three, fours, and fives. He doesn't mix up his shots. And defensively, he's not very sound at the boxing range. So if you can start chopping his legs and pressure him, and everybody's gotten to his legs at least a couple times, whether they've won or lost again, kind of cut the cage off the pressure, his defense is non-existent. If you can keep him in front of the cage and keep him out of the open cage you're gonna you can counter him easily you can break inside and you can just chop him up with legs and knees to the body it's been done before and it can be done again because he still hasn't addressed those problems he's still as far as strike was when he first got in there and when he's the when he's a way superior athlete or he's facing a guy who's fundamentally flawed yeah he'll have huge advantages fundamentally flawed who are tough enough to walk through that bring them and keep pressuring them and when his footwork starts breaking down underneath that pressure and they get their hands on them and can start working that middle ground it's going to be a wrap 
even though he's got the athleticism and the ground skills to be a world champion, striking awareness isn't there, and neither is his striking technique. Not past a certain point. If you're not all the way in or all the way out, he's not he's not effective, and he's not really effective in the clinch either. Not not really in a real sense where he could break break someone down and beat them up, and he's not really super effective in mid range either. He's a long range guy who explodes in long and explodes out to the range. If he's not controlling distance, he can't do anything to you. He hasn't proven it. Interesting, man. That's some, um, see, and I like talking about guys who are kind of aren't. They aren't in the main event. They're guys who have some cachet, have some value, who aren't really at that point yet where they're challenging for titles. They're still trying to make their own way. And I think Gunnar Nelson is one of those guys. I remember the. I was kind of. I was very excited when he signed with the UFC a few years back because I thought he's someone that someone to watch. And he's. I think he's gone the right route of a prospect. You win a couple. You may lose one. You win a couple, you may lose one. So he's he's growing in, in the right direction. I think he's going to be around for a little time yeah, or a little while. He, he'll be ranked. He should be really ranked, but he, he's got enough athletic talent. He's got enough talent, talent on the ground. And even with his stand-up, it just it hasn't been developed enough, but he's good enough a champion. He's good enough. He's good enough if he does the work and addresses those issues to be the very best. But he hasn't addressed it, and that's my main concern. Even though he's on this win streak, he's been winning essentially the same way he he's always won, either with a combination of people not being familiar with his striking, his stand-up, and a combination of his grappling. He hasn't shown improvements in the key guys who are of a, a pack. When he faced Rick in and out, in and out, putting him in trouble, landing shots, countering, getting away from his strikes. But as the rounds continued and Rick Story was able to continue to apply pressure and get to his legs, the same things he could do in a short in a short three-round fight, when it went five rounds, his body couldn't take the punishment, his body couldn't take the pressure. Even when he fought Damian Maya, even though he engaged him on the ground, Maya's footwork allowed him to pressure him and get the entries he wanted and force him in a grappling exchange. He was, he was at no point was effectively cutting off the cage and consistently pressuring him. He couldn't get in all the way. He couldn't get out all the way. Maya was and he and even when he was losing his exchange, when he got back to his feet, he had no choice. He had to grapple. He was Maya because he hadn't developed that that aspect of his footwork or his offense. Once you get in on him, he's really got nothing for you. And, and if you're a superior grappler or you're a competent enough grappler, wrestler where you can stay on your feet, enough grappler, only thing he's got that range is grapple with you, and you can have enough to outgrapple him. For good enough wrestlers, we control him, and they can make him pay in those clinches or on the inside. Okay, all right, there. So, um, we've had a pretty good, interesting conversation about Nelson. Let's talk about uh, Brad Pickett. Um, Brad Pickett snatched the. He snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, he was doing great. He had one. I thought he was up two rounds, and then he goes gets himself head kicked and finished on the on the ground. Did you have any problem with the stoppage, Sean? Yes. Did you have any problem with uh, Brad Pickett's uh, fight? Or excuse me, the way did you have any problem with the stoppage in the Brad Pickett fight? I don't have a problem with the stoppage. I'm. Uh, how much abuse he's taken, how many times he's been 
at this point, knowing it's his last fight, there's no need to subject him to anything not clean. The the funny thing is, he said he wanted to leave it all out there because he felt like when he favor, he kind of played it safe and he was fighting not to lose. So had he fought not to lose, there's a better than average chance he would have won it. Most people, he had a 2-0 lead and all he basically had to do was sit on it, get a takedown, lay and pray, or just definitely exchanges because he's a good enough Finn, he he can reverse position and stay out of any danger long enough to win win the decision. But he went out there trying to go on a highlight and trying to finish the fight. He wanted to finish it. He wanted to go, came in, and unfortunately, the way that it's often cost him in his biggest opponents he's faced. Um, Vera, the guy he fought, was isn't an established name, but he's a young talent. He's he's a physical specimen, and he's got a great array of skills. He just doesn't have very, very much experience. And um, when Pickett gave him an opportunity to turn the fight around, he quickly and decisively turned it around. I, I think they were right to stop it. I think they gave him a fair shot to uh, come back, and he wasn't able to. And, you know, it, he had a good who was always able to compete with the best. He was just never one of the very So I don't think he has anything to be ashamed of, and I don't think there should be any complaints for him or his man, in my opinion. And yeah, I was actually um, thinking about Bad Pickett as he kind of walked out of the cage for the last time. Because other than that win over Demetrius Johnson, what really is his biggest win in his career? I can't really, like he had big fights, but did he ever have that big victory that pushed him over the top and into like a higher place of um a higher place of value within within a promotion. And this is a guy who fought Ian McCall. He fought some of the biggest names even before stepping into, he fought Hinton Burrell, even before, before stepping into WEC. WEC is really kind of where he uh, gained his notoriety. He fought, he fought Thomas Almeida. And he fought so many good guys, so many good quality fights. And he just never could really get that big win other than a, other than the Demetrius Johnson win, so really, what do you um what do you say about this guy at this point in time? Uh, he was he was an action fighter. He had he always gave the fans their money's worth. I don't ever recall Brad Pickett being in a boring fight. Like I know they always say boring fight. They're always an exciting fight. Um, Brad Pickett was literally a guy who was always an exciting fight. You know, win or lose, show for the fans. He always left everything he had in there. And he was a guy who actually showed improvement. He was never the greatest striker, even though he had that one-punch name. But he, re- he, he he tightened up his striking. His wrestling had always improved. Being a European fighter, he, he had some of the better wrestling and better transitional grappling as than most people from Europe, most fighters from Europe. Usually that's a big hole in their game. It wasn't a hole in his game. He faced the best guys. And even though he never really beat them, he was always able to compete with them. He never he, he never looked the cage with them he always had enough moments where you thought that had a couple things gone wrong maybe he'd had he'd been a little bit more talented he could have won that fight he could have won those fights so he's just a he's a good action fighter he's a guy who gave it his best to the UFC and to MMA as a whole but he what he wasn't great he wasn't I hate to say this as a fighter with a fighter's heart he was special and he was great but as far as the results he got and being elite in skills and physical talent he was never he was just not an elite fighter he was just never a great one he was just a guy who, who was great for the fans and great for a promotion because he fight and he always put up a great fight against whoever they asked him to fight. 
Definitely true. I think it was a very touching moment to see um, his opponent kind of talk so highly about him. You know, it was a very moving moment. One of those moments that are great in sports. One of the moments we haven't seen in MMA for a little while. Yeah, we had the great you are our favor last fight. But other than that, we really haven't seen that moment um, in a little while in, in mixed martial arts. So it was good to kind of get that at that special sports moment this past Saturday. Um, let's talk about Joe Duffy now. You know, D Duffy walked away from his contract with the UFC. He fought his contract out, and I think he won two of his last three. Other than a Dustin Poirier bout, I think he went four and one in his time within the uh, UFC. And so now here we are looking at a guy who could easily be within the top ten of the lightweight division, and he's a free agent. If you were in Joe Duffy's shoes right now, what would you do? Uh actually explore the Bellator option. He, he's not he's there in the UFC. He has the potential. And, and I get why he'd but the Bellator is really trying to make an impression in his home country. And Bellator would love to have a face for a division, a guy they there and a guy they could really push. And he's he's already familiar to the MMA. You know, he's got he's still got the Conor McGregor storyline. They can they can milk that. He's he, them. He's a guy coming off of a series of wins in the UFC. Feels they can use to push him, and he's 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 they can use him as a star when they're trying to um, establish their brand outside of the country. I don't know what the UFC's plans are for him, to be quite honest. And being that he he's probably got at least another three or four minimum fights before he'd even be considered for any sort. So it's kind of it's a matter of. And and I don't know what they're paying him in that meantime. Are financially in that meantime, so I know Bellator would pay money to have a guy of his caliber, with his caliber of skills, to have a guy who they could use as the face of a division for that country that they're trying to get into. It, it's it's a perfect, it's a slam dunk. Scott Coker loves these type of situations and he loves these type of fighters, especially as MMA has been proven to be a big worldwide sport. So. I, Explore it. If the UFC made me an offer I couldn't, then yeah, I'd stay. But the UFC's not; they don't do that anymore. The business they're in. I mean, they might do that for a top five guy or a really popular guy. Joe Duffy is neither a top five guy nor a popular guy. So if it's going to come down to money or any issue of respect, like they should respect what I can do and respect the potential I have, he's not getting it from the UFC. There's guys who have just as much potential, if not more. And where are they at? Good, good, good thoughts there on that. Um, I think so. This kind of is going to kind of segue into a conversation that we're going to talk about later. But I definitely agree. I think that Bellator would be a good option for him. There are some there are a, there are interesting fights there. Um, I would love to watch him fight Michael Chandler uh, to see him in the going there, and maybe even get a fight against Benson Henderson to fight Josh Thompson. Like there are some good fights there for him. Yeah, he could move up. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a and he could also move up as well. Featherweight, so. There's lots of good fights at featherweight. There's good fights at lightweight if he wants to dance between them. And, and you know, Bellator will let him do let him do that. Yeah, there are definitely some um, – there are definitely good fights there for him to make. And as far as the money aspect of it, you can never really be um, totally certain what these Viacom deals look like. Yes, we know that some fighters are jumping at the bid at taking them. Uh, we so just see this week – uh, as I mentioned, you know, Dylan Dennis signed to Bellator last week. This week we had Lorenz Larkin and Ryan Bader. So good deals to good fighters, and I wouldn't be surprised if Duffy took the leap as well. 
Yeah. I mean, like, I'm find the UFC, but the fact of the matter is, the UFC at corners and they're not going to ex- be extending themselves for guys who don't have a obvious value and is is skilled as he is i don't know value what real like what you can really sell move pay-per-views around he's like a he's a card filler guy right now a very good one uh, he doesn't put butts in seats not in america not not with ratings if he goes other way to bring him in, regardless of the skills he showed, and regardless of the because they've had got accomplished just as much or more in their divisions, and they've let those guys go. So I, I have to believe that, that Duffy wouldn't be far off from being let go himself. Yes, that's definitely some um, definitely some pretty good breakdown, and that's, that's going to allow us to segue right into our next conversation topic. As I mentioned, you know, we have some guys such as. Um, such as Lorenz Larkin and others who have made the jump to uh, the made the jump to Bellator. It was announced this week. What are some of your thoughts on that? Do you think that these that, that these are the right moves for um, these guys, or what? Well, it. I mean, when you listen to some of the interviews, you read about them, you do some research into them, and you see how the UFC kind of handled them. It makes you wonder, like, why, why, what else would they have done? Like, Lorenz Larkin said he didn't even really get an offer until less than a month ago, like two weeks ago. The last five, like, how long ago? Like, what was it, six months ago, seven months ago? More? You know, and, and they just and they just now gave him an offer in the past in the past two weeks, two to three weeks? That's, that's ridiculous. For a guy who's a free agent, who's on a winning streak, who has an exciting style, who, who, who was – who beat one of the guys, the top contenders in division? Or hey, how do you let that guy not just let that guy go, but not even making all two weeks in the do that? Unless you just feel like you have such an advantage based off the cachet of your organ in the the select. I mean, they they didn't really do much. And the same thing with Benson Henderson. They didn't treat Benson. I mean, Benson Henderson was on a winning streak as a welterweight. He used to be a former lightweight champion. He'd, he'd accomplished a lot. He had been an ex- he he wasn't a huge established fighter, and yet they didn't really go other way to keep him either. Not really my favorite my favorite thing about the Benson Henderson situation is when Dana White got on. I mean, you know, you can never be too surprised with some of the things Dana White says. I always gotta preface that, but. His explanation for the reason being why he let Benson Henderson walk is because that the UFC wasn't interested in signing a fighter who was going in the wrong direction in the rankings. And what he meant was he wasn't interested in re-signing a fighter who was going down in the in, in the in, in the rankings. So when you looked at that, you gotta be like, wait, Benson Henderson went from being ranked like number two in the lightweight division number two, three, to being ranked number like 11 and then number eight in the welterweight division. So yes, his number was going down, but it was because he was in a new weight class where his rank was rising. And it's like to hear him say that, it was like, you really must think people are idiots. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, it's surprising how many people just buy into whatever the UFC says. They say this guy's not a good fighter. He's not. They say this guy's a bum. He's a bum. You know, Fedor, Fedor's career was clearly established. You know, it was in the UFC. It was clearly established. But the people who only watch the UFC think Fedor's a coward and a bum. They think Brock Lesnar is one of the best heavyweights of all time. Neither things is true. 
But when you have those three letters backing what you're saying, all sorts of craziness. And and yes, that's that's all, all sorts of uh, craziness. You know, and I know I know the UFC, the UFC just isn't. They're not. They're not necessarily bad for them. They're trying to take care of what they got to take care of. But the fact that the has got to do the same. And some of these fighters were giving up large amounts of money. Some of these fighters, some of these fighters were not getting sponsorship opportunities. Some of these fighters knew for a fact that they weren't going to be made priorities in the divisions they're in. So what's the point of fighting just to fight? If you want a title or you want to contend to be in the top 10 and you know that they don't believe in you or you've, or you're, you've lost too many big fights, what's the point of being in the UFC? Even if you're fighting the best, you're nowhere near a title fight which means you're nowhere near good money, which means you're nowhere near headline opportunities, which is what everybody wants. So if you're not moving forward, then essentially you're, you're just standing still, which means you're, you're, not, you're not accomplishing anything. So what's the purpose of staying in there? They're not paying you the way that you want. You're not getting the opportunities you want. You're not getting the money you want. Why would you stay there? It's like they make it pretty easy for you to leave if they don't really want you to stay. And guys like Ryan, what options did he have really? He had already lost to almost every big name in decisively so light heavyweight how many fights does he have to win before he can get a legitimate shot who does he have to be have too many options larkin was interesting because he was he was moving up the rankings he came off a really dynamic impressive win so you're kind of you know he you would think that he would have some leverage but then you hear about how they treated him and it tells you all you need to know the ufc highlighting and going out of their way for specific you're not one of those fighters then you have to take want to take it then they're just going to let you go you're free to examine whatever opportunity so what so let's look back at larkin and um larkin and bader yes i you know i agree i think that these signings were the right direction for both of the men but um what do you see as next for both of these guys do you take Bader and do you throw him right in there with uh, Phil Davis and say, you know, you've already defeated the champion once, do it again? Do you take Larkin and do you put him in a fight with uh, Douglas Lemur or Koreshkov, someone right at the top with the hopes of him breaking through to get a – because I think he, he's definitely a title contender already, in, in my opinion, with the with the last couple of performances he's put out, put out there. So do you throw these guys into the heap already or do you kind of take a gamble on them the same way you did with Josh Thompson and slip up? It was different with Thompson. Thompson was clear. I mean, he's older. He's on a clear decline. I mean, he's been fighting for a long time. And not just that. He, how many injuries has he had to recover? It builds himself back up. How many fights did he cancel because of injuries? He And think about the, the last couple. They were fairly punishing events. Just easy fights or just technical fights. They were His fight with Tony Ferguson was a very high-intensity, high-paced, punishing fight. So Thompson was already on the decline. Lorenz Larkin is on is still on his way up. You know, he just moved down to the weight. He's in the he's coming off some big wins. He's on a he's on a move. You could, you could have him fight some lesser name guy, maybe not just like some bottom of the barrel guy, but you could have him fight a you a, a non-elite guy and see what happens. I mean, you could put him in with MVP. That'd be an interesting fight. Ah, just true. That would be great. That would be a very interesting fight. I mean, he MVP would have somebody who's willing to strike with him, and then you'd find out for sure. If MVP's for real, or and we already know Lorenz Larkin's for real, but we'd have a chance even if he loses, we could see how good is how good is MVP. He says he is because now you're facing a guy 
who's good enough to strike with physical and not just the technical skills, but the physical skills to strike with you. So we're gonna find out are in what you're about as a fighter. Yeah, we de- that would definitely be a fight against someone who we know isn't going to back down, someone who isn't going to kind of wilt at the pressure that is, that um, MVP brings in the cage. What about Bader? What do you do with him? Do you throw him in there with Liam? Do you do you or do you give him feel out the gate? Kind of, I'm kind of weird about Bader because I'm like Bader has always lost. So if you have him go, he was he's talking about fighting Phil Phil Davis. He beats Phil Davis. Great, he's a champion. And you know a whole new storyline wins. So there's there's good there's a good part of that. But if he goes in and loses to the champion, you know he's right back where he started, where he's in the UFC, all the way at the back of the line, trying to figure out how to get himself back in a position to contend for a title. Let me so, ask you I mean, this though: is that is that totally the case though? Because you know he's already beaten Phil Davis once. So if he were to lose to Davis, does that give them the opportunity to book the trilogy fight in hopes that you know that they can they can promote it properly? Uh, depends depends on how depends on how good the fight is. That's the, the one thing about one thing. And as a person who's competed, you know this better than I do. You never you never even though you can guess, you can try and figure things out. You might be a very smart person. You can never really know what's going to happen in a fight. If it's a competitive fight, mm-hmm. if it's a close loss, you might be able to get an instant rematch. Goes into the fight and it's not very good. Out words or what? Or worse yet, gets knocked out. That that that's a big step back. Big shot to him. So I'm knocked out by Phil Davis. That's not a fight. And even though Phil Davis has made, I don't think he's made enough where I would say that he's a. I'd probably say he fights close to what he does in the UFC. So there's a good chance of But um, I, I guess if Vader wants a title fight, usually Scott Coker's pretty good about giving people the fights they want. I, I think he he might just put him in with a title fight. I don't think you put him in with McGarry because McGarry's not a wrestler. He's a submission guy. I really, really hasn't been really prone to being finished by guys in submission. So I, I don't know that McGarry's necessarily the the – I don't know the McGarry. I guess McGarry. He you probably beat McGarry. I guess, I guess they're probably just going to putting him in a title shot. It's a big name. Okay? It should get some kind of ratings, and it'd be a fight that would be considered one of the better light heavyweight fights in in the world currently. And it's between two former UFC contenders, so there's a lot of ways you could sell it. So I, I'm guessing they're probably most likely put him in with Davis. It's just to me, it's a risky call because, you know, it's not like they have, and now you've essentially taken title title picture for the next couple months if not you so let me ask you this then um we've often talked about talked about what bellator needs to do in order to get over the hump it, are these the type of signings that helps them go in that right direction yeah all these signings these these are these are exactly what they need i mean later isn't he's a name guy people know him but he's not a huge name type guy who who can either if he's good if he's developed and he's good enough he could be a champion or it could be another guy in the division who's a gauge for the other fighters coming up and what's what they need is depth and in welterweight and light heavy legitimate depth and that's going to have them come up with in new matches we haven't seen and it's going to bring over other people's fan bases which are going to help their bottom lines it's going to strengthen the quality of the cards I mean, I know they have a pay-per-view coming out, 
They could have Lorenz Larkin come out on that. They could have a title fight between Davis and Bader. I mean, that that frees up. Only problem with Bellator isn't talent is they don't have the depth. And right now they're starting to sign more people to provide the depth. They don't even just need big names. They need who've got some familiarity with the MMA community, some experience. Because those guys turn into champions, or the worst case scenario, they're they're gatekeepers, and they can determine whether a prospect's good enough to move to the next stage, or they need more work. Bellator didn't have that. There's just a huge gap between the very best and the very worst of the division. And now that they're they're going to start getting that depth because the UFC is running business now. It's going to give them opportunities to sign these guys, guys who are maybe second or third tier guys because the UFC is not going to pay for them anymore. Going to leave it, and some guys aren't even going to get an offer. They're just going to get cut, which means this is to round out, mm-hmm. round out their divisions and add some legitimacy to their divisions. And the only way you get legitimacy is if you have depth. You can't. It's like a football team or basketball team. If you don't, you can't be a real contender. You can't be a real star team. You can't be a real friend to have depth. Same thing with Bellator. For them to be a real competitor to the UFC and a star star organization, they have. Now they don't have it, and they're on the way to getting it. So they're. The exact moves I would recommend. I've actually been very impressed with them. That's interesting to hear you say that then. So are there any free agents that are kind of like on your radar that they should watch to um to move to sign pretty soon? Uh, first, first of all, Valerie Letourneau. Uh, she fought at flyweight. I think she fought in bantamweight too. Or she fought at strawweight, excuse me. She wanted to fight at flyweight. They don't have a flyweight division in the UFC. And so she she doesn't want to be there. Beck Rawling might try and get her released because she said she she can't fight in bantamweight. She's not big enough, and she has health issues that impede her from making the strawweight straw strawweight limit. So there's another fight. Two Letourneau is one of the better fighters. Beck Rawling is kind of a middling fighter at strawweight, but the fact of the matter is she has a name, she has a story, she has a bit of a fan base, and it would flesh out this division and half so they'd be a leg up on the UFC because we have we have, we have the better featherweight champion and we have a division the UFC doesn't have that a lot of the UFC fighters want to compete in there's a lot of girls and can't fit in bantamweight so now they they've opened up this lane where the UFC doesn't have a division to mirror them to compete with them and there's going to be those weight cuts who are going to want to make a change to those divisions and I think that's going to happen very soon so Valerie I would think of because she would legitimize that division. She's a name. She went five rounds straw weight in the world. She's she was she was ranked in two different divisions. She's a and she's got a long history of com, com, a competition and she fights in one of the best gyms in the world. So she would be a big pickup for that division. And if they sign her, I, I was following her. I guarantee you that if the UFC doesn't come up with a flyweight division, I have no reason to believe they're going to come up with one, which means can't make this weight anymore and i'm gonna have to start looking at some alternatives think about uh mckenzie mckenzie dern she hasn't made weight she wants to fight in straw weight she can't make the weight she's missed it every time flyweight would be the best way for her but guess what the ufc doesn't have a flyweight division so what are her options because if she's keep around either that's true that's true there um Speaking of uh, Mackenzie Dern, you know, being a world-class grappler, there is an announcement of a grappling fight that I'm pretty excited for. Um, when we have we have uh, Gary Tunin and Shinya Aoki 
doing a grappling match in um, one championship. Is this the, is this a, a match that you're going to sit down and watch? You know, Aoki has competed on the grappling space before. He hasn't done, you know, he hasn't done the greatest. You know, he isn't someone who kind of competes seriously across both sports, but he's someone who's grappling in MMA has created some highlight reel finishes. I mean, he's put the twist on guys um, in recent memory. So does this fight announcement, does this match announcement kind of interest you? Is it something that you think you would watch? Uh, I think so. I, I see why they He's a huge, he's, he's not going to be the star. He's a, who elicits a lot of reaction. He knows him in the grappling world and in the MMA world. And he's, he's big in his country. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, draw a lot of eyes, especially to see how he does against one there. You know, it's, it's enough of an, I like watching grappling here and there on my own. But w- when you have somebody that's always going to pull in, I'm more of a casual so instantly, I I recognize Aoki. I'm gonna be like, in this in this other uh, form of combat. So it, I'm sure it's gonna be enough to get in uh, more than enough other kinds of grappling. You know, a lot of MMA guys, a lot of Japanese MMA people will probably pay attention to it to see see how he does. And and his style, grappling style overall is is kind of unique. So it's interesting. It's how his style matches up. A uh, you know, structured grappler than Aoki. Aoki tries for the most unorthodox things, but I don't know how much of that is. He's just that much. He's just that facing guys who are limited grapplers who aren't really. Who are you talking about? Uh, Aoki, like in MMA, he, he's able. Yeah. To, but would he be able to do all those things if it was? And he and he was facing the top end grapplers in the world. That this would answer that question. Yeah, I think the answer to that question is no. Um, Tuna is going to be the bigger guy, and you know he's hung in there with bigger men in, in the past. Hell, he last year him and Usman Paharis had probably the greatest grappling match of 2016, and Paharis outweighed him massively in that fight. I mean, he just submitted um, a bigger man in Gilbert Burns as well. So, and Gilbert Burns has, has a hell of a grappling um, career behind him as well too. You know, he just placed in ADCC the last time around. So it'll be interesting to see how Aoki tries to deal with um, the bigger fighter in, in Tonin. I, I think Tonin wins this um, via submission, especially with his varied uh, leg lock attacking. But just the announcement itself, still, um, it causes me to have interest in this, especially along the lines with Dylan Dennis signing to um, Bellator as well. It definitely gets me interested in in the fight, and it's something I want to see. And a lot of like a grappling version of Mayweather, McGregor, it's like you. It's like you know. In all, in all, for all intents and purposes, I he's winning this. He's he's not a he's not a full time grappler. Grappling child. He's had some accomplishments, but those accomplishments aren't really recent. They wouldn't put him in as one of the top grapplers, or even in the the modern times. You're having him go up against a guy who's considered who's going to be the bigger guy and considered to be one. In the world, so it, it, it the result should be fairly obvious to us. It's only it, the only thing that makes it important is because it's a big name from another sport coming into somebody to compete. Mm-hmm. So essentially, with you on that, I, I, yeah. I, I I'm looking forward to it. Though. I can't wait like to see you, it. You you and a watch unless he gets unless Aoki submits submits him, you're not going to be shocked by anything to happen. Even though no. even though you kind of know what's going to happen. Because it's an event, 
it's like an event basically it's big names you want to see it and i think that's what's going to draw people in it would draw more people in if there was an actual feel or a belief that this guy could win it but i don't think even most mma fans who are familiar with mma really believe that he's going to actually win this fight he's not like you said he's not and he, he's a skilled grappler but he's not used to regularly competing with this caliber guy in a competition setting in a purely so it, there's a lot of things disadvantaged in just yeah, I, th I think it'll be interesting to see like the commentary surrounding this fight right before it happens. Um, I believe that you know a lot of people are going to be on the side of um, tune in just because of how good he's been doing in recent memory. But it definitely got me excited to see that this fight um, announced. What are some other big stories that you're following in MMA? You know, this is kind of a slow week for us, which is uh, a, a good thing to have every now and then, especially with um, the month of April that's coming up. What are some stories that you're watching this week in mixed martial arts? Um, a lot of stuff, a lot of the stuff I'm just watching is kind of, I'm still trying to figure out what the to do, like what their end game is, what they're going. You just kind of wonder, you know, I know they have a big roster, but you kind of wonder how much of an effect this is going to have long-term on the quality of the fights and the quality of the car. Really just cut down on the amount of car, like cut it down so much because they want to have the highest quality and save money, which means best of the best are going to be fighting just is that going to affect the roster how much is it going to affect the amount of shows produced how, the standing of the organization as, as a whole because i know people only get concerned when their favorite fighter gets cut but this sort of thing impacts like the whole sport across the board you know if the ufc is not paying and they're the best people paying smaller organizations are going to be paying now bridge anymore yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be something to see, um, something of, of interest to watch over these next, like over these next few months. I think this is going to be a big year for mixed martial arts. So not, a, not a big year in like saying revenue generating or something like that. I mean, like a big year in um, what is happening within the sport. What's next? What's the next big growth opportunity? Who's the next big champion? I think we're headed in that direction to kind of see a, not only if these questions get answered, but if they can be answered, and if they could be answered by whom. Uh, I think that is going to be a, um, a pretty interesting time in the sport, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Well, the only other thing I'm kind of interested in is seeing if if the every time somebody has a star, this guy, I'm kind of interested in seeing if the UFC can actually create stars, because a lot of the people who are their veterans, like Cain Velasquez, is, you know, he's on the tail in his career Fabricio Verdum he's still a top guy but he's at his age given his experience he's on the end of his career there's closer to the end than they are and the UFC hasn't shown that they've developed any of is I mean we're gonna find out how important that they don't have any transcend transcendent guys fighting I mean even if GSP comes back he's not coming back for like five or six years he, he might not fight after this depending on how it goes Ronda um, McGregor is just trying to get paid. They haven't developed any stars, and I'm I'm kind of curious to see if they can actually develop stars. They haven't really had to. They've kind of lucked into people, or the the name UFC has been the big. Given some of the decisions they made, people on to anything that says UFC. Understand what they're trying to do. They don't understand what they're getting anymore, as far as the quality or the level of matchups anymore. So it's kind of interesting to see if they can really develop a legitimate star who can help them 
push pay-per-view things back up. Because as it stands right now, they don't really have any. So with that being said, what are you working on this week for um, MMA ratings? Um, I did one I over over uh, regarding Lena Landsberg. She uh, fought Cyborg a couple months ago. She came in in one of those catchweight fights, and um, I did an article official fight at bantamweight, and she's a new entry in bantamweight. Who uh, women's bantamweight blood, and I kind of discussed here what that win meant for her, some potential matchups moving forward, trying to give a bit an idea of who she is and where she can go and what you should be looking for in future matchups. That's the only piece I, I in recent. I got some other pieces I've got for future matches up, matchups coming up. And I've actually done like three or four for UFC 210, but you, we won't be seeing those till the But um, that's that's what, I, what I'm going to have coming out on the site this week. Okay, that's some good stuff. I, I got some pieces up about Joe Duffy and I like the Joe Duffy piece. That was you. You stated a very uh, well thought out case on that one. I I wasn't really a big. I, I obviously went against you when I was thinking about it. For what I thought, the way you presented it, I, I could decide as far as how, how he should approach and the UFC moving forward. I thought that was a very good job you did with that. Yeah, man, it's all about, I appreciate that. It's all about cashing out at, at the right time. And I think Joe Duffy did that correctly. Um, I did a piece on Jimmy Manoa. Uh, I might have another piece coming up later on this week. I am going to be covering the Glory event for Fight Metric this weekend. So it should be pretty interesting just to kind of watch that and get a different um, different eye on a different aspect of fight sports. But other than that, man, I'm, I'm putting together some work. I'm going to do a piece on a pretty big, big piece on competitive grappling for Bloody Elbow. That'll be coming out probably in April. I want to put that together. And um, you, were de- you were determined to make competitive grappling popular. I can dog, see that. Dog, man, because it's so, it's, it's so much <laughs> fucking fun. Like, that's like that. Like, that's the basis of, you know, like, you got, you have weekend warriors, you have dads, you have moms, you have lawyers, doctors, you have guys that are competing against men who are, you know, are like janitors. Everybody's equal. So it's equal. It's interesting to me to see competitive grappling on a, on a wide, wide scale grow. Um, I do have some issues with some of the bigger names in the sport and the way they conduct themselves. And I do have some issues with the IBJJF and the way they ref their events, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm still just, I'm a fan of grappling and it's something that, you know, it, it deserves the uh, deserves the attention that I hope is coming its way. Oh no, I I, I admire it. I admire the fact so fiercely. I'm just like he's really everything in his power to make competitive grappling into the next big thing. I everything in my power. Everything in my power. But I got that coming up. I'm keeping a close eye on this Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather crap, um, just because I I think it's it's either time to shit or get off the pot. And I hope that they hurry up and um, make something happen so we can we can actually begin talking about it as if it's an actual thing. Yeah, that, w- that would be good to make a decision. But with that kind of money, I, the thing I find funny is how White turned his opinion around. First, it was never going to happen. He, he's got to deal with us. And all of a sudden now, it's just too, mu- too much money. And I, I, I actually heard somebody, I don't know who told me this, but but I actually heard a rumor that um, w that the UFC WME may be trying to be do a co-promotion with Mayweather Promotions because this kind of fight would generate tons and tons of money and they paid a lot of money for the UFC. So what do they need? They need it cash generated. So if they can cash get in on, money, if they could get in on the um, the promotion and the pay per view, 
they could probably make six or seven UFC. I mean, it, it would blow anything they do with the UFC out of the water. And that might make up a huge chunk of that money they they were coming into a organization full of stars, transcendent stars who can make millions and millions for them. They, they know that's not the case now. And they see that money that's being offered to McGregor and the money they'll get for sharing the rights and replaying the fight. That, that's some, we're talking about, you know, half a billion dollars. They're, they're going to take that. They're going to take it because they, they need to keep the lights on. They need to make good on their investment. And that's the closest way to cut into that debt they have. Definitely isn't it? And that's something that they need to do and that they need to do ASAP. So with that in mind, um, I just wanted to talk about, uh, excuse me, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you to everyone that supports the show. Everyone who, you know, likes and shares our content, please keep doing that. You can find us every week, whether it be Thursday or, or Wednesday or Thursday, um, talking about mixed martial arts on MMA ratings podcast. So again, I definitely appreciate everyone following us, liking our content because we are steadily growing and I think that we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, I agree 100%. We're just going to keep to get you the best um, interviews. And di- like I said, we try to, we don't just break down fights. We'll, we talk money, we talk social issues that impact the sport as a whole. We're trying to cover all the bases and do so in an effective and intelligent manner for the fans. So we do the best we can to get you the best written content and the best audio content out there. Thank you. That is exactly right. Uh, so with that in mind, man, uh, I'll catch you next week and enjoy the enjoy the week off with no action or um, no major MMA events. Oh, I just started, man. I just started getting into grappling and kickboxing, so I'll probably probably hit the mats maybe this weekend. Then I gotta get some more rounds in rounds in on that. A little rusty. Getting getting kicked in the getting kicked and punched isn't isn't as fun as it used to be. But it's hey, man, we're all we're all rusty to be honest with you. <laughs> all right. So with that in mind, man, have a great uh, have a great rest of the week. All right, you too, man. Appreciate it. All right, man. Peace.